The following sermon was preached at Tower View Baptist Church. We are a gospel-centered, relationship-driven church that exists to know, grow in, share, and serve Jesus Christ. We do all this for the glory of God. For more about us, please check out our website at www.towerviewkc.com. Well, as we come to this time of offering, or time of offering, time of study, whoo, uh, my cold still hasn't left me, apparently, as it is. Well, I invite your attention this morning, uh, if you have your Bible electronically, paper, or if it's written on your hand, whatever you got, uh, pull out your copy of God's Word this morning. Uh, you know, we say, I say that phrase almost every Sunday, invite your attention to, but what a joy that is. You ever think about that? We have God's Word before us. What an awesome opportunity it is. It's not, the, it's not the testimony of Joseph Smith. It's not the cave-dwelling prophecies of Muhammad. It is the thrice holy God's word that has been brought to us as men were carried along by the Holy Spirit, God-breathed, profitable for correction, reproof, rebuke, and all the growth necessary. What an awesome God we serve. Amen as we come. Well, this morning we are going to be looking at three verses. If you're visiting with us, we are on a 20-year trek, and I kind of jokingly say that, but 20-year trek through the book of Mark. We actually uh, plan to end it after three years this time next year, but we are embracing Jesus's agenda this morning is the sermon title, and sometimes that means slowing down and looking at just a little piece. Well, there was a story about a skeptic who came to a French diplomat uh, way back in the 1700s, and the skeptic went to this French diplomat because this French diplomat was a solid Christian. He loved things about Jesus. And the skeptic said to this French diplomat, the Christian religion, do you, you really believe that stuff? What is it? I mean, is, how easy is it to start a religion? And to something which I wish I could say this in a French accent, the diplomat simply said, do you think so? All you have to do is get crucified and raise yourself from the dead and you can start your own religion. Isn't that the truth? You see, because the Christian faith and the Christian religion is built on the death and bodily resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. If you're here today, you will probably believe that. You probably believe the things we've sung. And as we get to these three verses, you'll look at them and say, Darren, we already know this stuff. True. But all man-made religion has been something that has started with the thought that I think I know this stuff and then led to somewhere else. You see, because no other religion is built on the death of its leader and the resurrection of its leader. The church is built on the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Everything we do flows out from that. May we be reminded of Isaiah 53, 5 that says, But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. With his wounds we are healed. Love it. Cannot get enough of it. Christianity is a supernatural religion, purchased with a supernatural death, secured with a supernatural resurrection, and no other religion, past, present, or future, has ever compared to it. Well, what, what about those, the, the skeptic will say, well, what about those things that we borrowed myths from? Well, not at all. In fact, the Christian religion is the only one that has someone truly die for their sins and truly resurrect for their sins. And Jesus Christ did it. He predicted it, and that is what this is all about. 
If you're a Christian here today, this is your greatest hope. But can I ask you a question? Have you gotten bored with the same old story? I mean, come on. Sometimes you look at the story of Jesus dying on the cross, even if you're a super saint, and you say, Lord, do I have to hear it again? Because our hearts sometimes get cold to it. It's like when you go to your grandma or your grandpa's and they tell you the same story and the fish was this big. Oh, no, it was this big. And it grows and you know the story. But I'm grateful that the same story is the same truth all the time. We don't have to change the fact. The facts are settled. So is God in Christ and the things of the gospel the retreat for your soul this morning? Are you feeling alone, low, and helpless? The Lord sees that and knows that. And your affirmation is not found in yourself. It's found in what he has done for you. And which is more important, the, the cross or the resurrection? It's kind of like asking an airplane pilot, which is more important, the right, uh, the right uh, uh, wing or the left wing? Because one or the other goes off, you're going to go down pretty quickly. And as a church, as Christians, we need to remember these things because if we are not balanced in what we believe in the cross and the resurrection, we are doomed to sink and fall fast. The big idea today is simply this, is that your hope isn't in what you wish Jesus would provide. It is in what he's already done by means of his life, death, burial, and resurrection. That is what we know. The ultimate freedom is not political, it's not liberation from, from a society, but it is found in the resurrection and death of Jesus. This is not just reserved for eternity, but this is for now. As we go forward as a church, this is our banner. Didn't Paul say when he went to Corinth that I came preaching nine steps to have a better church or five steps for better church growth? No, he said I came preaching Christ and Christ crucified. That is our message. And resting in the grace of Jesus, Christian, means you don't search horizontally for what God has already provided vertically in his life, death, burial, and resurrection. Two things today. If we're going to embrace Jesus' agenda, we need to remember two actions to follow Christ. Very simply, it's right from the text. We must listen to Jesus' words, and we must understand Jesus' message or his mission. Now, this is not the first time. If you remember this, and I'm just going to tell you this now, we're going through Mark. We've already done this one time. If you go back to Mark chapter 8, if you have your Bible open just quickly, if you go back to Mark chapter 8, say, Darren, didn't we just preach on this just a little while ago? Yeah, you're, you're kind of right. Because you, if you go back to Mark 8.31, it says, And Jesus, he began to teach them that the Son of Man must be rejected, suffer many things, rejected by the elders, and, and be killed and rise again on the third day. So why is Jesus telling them again? And you know what's going to happen in chapter 10? He's going to do the exact same thing again and again and again. It's the same reason, parents, if it's been a while, grandparents, if it's definitely been a while, that you have to tell your kids five million times to do the same thing or not do the same thing over and over and over again. Stop touching your sister's nose. That's gross. Pick up your toys now. Yes, you have to wear underwear. You cannot not wear underwear. Fill in the blank. How much more spiritually does our God have to tell us over and over and over again about the glorious gospel that is ours? Because we are prone to forget. With that in mind, will you join me if you're able this morning in standing as we read God's word from Mark chapter eight, or excuse me, Mark chapter nine, verses thirty through thirty-two. 
as we look at embracing Jesus' agenda, two actions to follow him obediently this morning. Hear God's word. Verse 30. And they went on from there, They coming on from healing the, the, the man and his son with the demon, and, he, and they passed through Galilee. And he did not want anyone to know, that's speaking of Christ, for he was teaching the disciples, saying to them, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days, he will rise. But they did not understand the saying, And notice what it says there. And they were afraid to ask him. If you remember the last time we looked at a similar passage, Peter opened his mouth. (laughs) And that got him in trouble. In fact, Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. I think they learned their lesson enough not to ask. But even though they didn't ask, they still did not get it. Our purpose today is to remind ourselves what the gospel is, be rejoicing and refreshing in that as we go out into a world that does not know what the gospel is and wants to take everything with that away from you. Will you join me in prayer as we pray this morning? Father, this is, as we might say, uh, the the sermon that has been preached millions of times over, and we thank you for it because, Father, our hearts are sinful, redeemed hearts need this message every moment of every day. Free us from the law, Lord, in the sense that we try to please you to be pleased. Father, thank you that in Christ you have been fully satisfied, Lord, and therefore by extension we are fully accepted within your grace. Not by our performance, not by our uh, abilities, but all by what Christ did. Father, 2,000 years on, how easily it is to look back with just that big duh factor of how did they not get this? But Lord, how easily we forget this in our daily lives. Father, let what we preach here today not be my words. Let it be yours. May it be for growth. May it be for conviction, change, and comfort, all by the power and the, and the, the ministry of the Spirit among us. We pray this today in Jesus' name. And God's people said, amen. You may be seated. Thank you. Well, I just, as you are finding your way, we will get that first point, but just by way of introduction, I I just want to to make this the thing. This is the main part of this gospel. I I debated, Judy always asked me, what sermon text are you preaching on? We calendar this out, but she knows every Monday I go through Mark, and I'm like, man, we could probably combine this and combine that and and go a little faster, but most of how many of all Bibles have the heading that separates the section out? Does anyone have that out? Most people, and that's actually good. In the Greek, uh, I'm not a scholar of this, but in the Greek, this this is separated out. This is a transitionary period. The public ministry of Jesus has pretty much ended. He's going to the cross. We looked at that even a few weeks ago. But once again, he is going to talk to the people closest to him. That's why as a church, it's so important for us, again, to gather together. We have a message that goes to all the ends of the earth, right? But we also have to study and be in fellowship together. There are good, well-meaning people who spend so much time sharing the gospel, they don't feel there's a need to ever grow any deeper in Jesus. And likewise, there are so many people that love to study and love the Word of God and, and all these things that that's what God's called me to do. I'm not called to share the gospel. I, I just, I'm called to study. And both of those things need to meet in the middle and say, we should study hard. We should study deep and wide. And we should go to the ends of the earth, as Jesus said. But at the same time, there is a call for us to be and come together. 
And that's what we find first off as we must listen to Jesus' words. You notice there in verse 1, to embrace his agenda, this is what we have to do. Verse 30 said that there, there's some isolation here. Did you notice that? It says they went out from there, passed through Galilee, and he didn't want anyone to know. But Jesus, you have the truth. Why would you not want anyone to know where you are? That's just weird. Why? Because he is focused on these disciples. He wants them to know the truth and to spread the truth. Some of you all may have been brought up in the faith by someone who took time out of their schedule to spend time with you so you should go and grow and take the message out. But that's not how we Americans like to do things, is it? If we're going to do it, we're going to do it our what? We're going to do it ourselves, right? Delegation is not something we do well. It's not something I do well. I'll be admitted about that. If I'm going to do it, I want it done my way or no way. Am I the only one that feels that way? But that's not how Jesus saw it. In fact, Jesus saw that his life, his very life, was a, an open book, so to speak, in the short time he was on this earth to pour into these men. And they were going through Galilee. This is where he spent most of the parts we have studied. And yet, even though the crowds were out and about, he found it necessary to spend time in isolation with the people. Now, now let's be honest here. Did he not, did, did he not know the crowds were there, Jesus? Absolutely he did. But he passed through. He indicates his progress is not stopping. He's on a mission. He's going to the cross. He's going to die for the sins of the world. But with that, he's bringing along the disciples. And the door of the opportunity for these people to hear the gospel has closed in some sense, at least by the words of Jesus. And this is why I love Psalm 144.1, which says, The Lord prepares my hands for war who trains my hands for war. Because, folks, this is the question I had when I asked this question, or looked at this text, but what great and noble fight is God preparing you for? You may look at your life and say, I'm not as vibrant as I used to be. I'm not in the place I would like to be. But what is the Lord preparing you for? Are you in a spot where you're not doing as much for Christ, perhaps, that you have seen in years past or even in days past? But I'm grateful that sometimes when no one is looking and God doesn't seem to be using us, we can put our place in the place of the disciples and see how important the present is that we get his instruction now. Let me apply that as a church. There are things you would say, man, I wish we would get our youth pastor hired, our music pastor hired, renovate the building, do all these things. I mean, come on, let's get on with it. But may we be grateful for every step that God places in our path. Because each step is a step that he has had for us as we go forward as a church. As a family, too. You've been through this. Some of you all would like to do so many things with your family in the name of Christ. But God seems to be drawing you back in different ways. Maybe you found out big news that changes a lot of things. Maybe you're, you got sick. I don't know. But know wherever you are, as long as you are faithful to Christ, that is exactly where you need to be. Because our God is an intentional and preparatory God, and everything he brings is exactly where it needs to be. So they're, they're studying by themselves. But notice verse 31. I mean, this, I said this the last time we preached through this, but how this sounds so morbid, doesn't it? I mean, if someone walked around and said, I'm going to be killed, you would probably be calling the FBI, the CIA, the local police, and anyone you could get to surround the house to make sure no one comes in, right? 
you turn on the cameras, you do everything you can to protect this important person. But Jesus says this, look at verse 31. And the Son of Man is going to be delivered, handed over to the hands of men, and they will kill him, and when he is killed, after three days, he will rise again. And you have to understand that when Jesus writes this, he writes with perfect accuracy. He knows what's going to go down. That word four at the beginning of the verse is the reason he's alone with them. He's reminding them of what is coming to them. And he taught them. This is what he does. He teaches. So I want to give you five quick, and I believe they're quick, little glimpses about the death of Jesus. This is so important. Because if we miss what Jesus did in his death, we miss so much. (coughs) Excuse me. The first thing I want you to see is the humility of Jesus' death. Did you notice what he called himself? That phrase that's used 83 times. Do you see what he says there in verse 31? He calls himself the Son of Man. This is Jesus' favorite title. He loves it. it. It's a title that he has taken and used so that he's fulfilling so much prophecy. There's humility here. He doesn't come in and just simply say, I am God, although he has said that. He laid aside his crown to take up the cross as the Son of Man. As someone who was fully divine, fully God, he is taken on flesh. This is, of course, a, a prophecy that was, uh, that was fulfilled from Daniel 7, but he gives this title to himself. If you'll go over to Mark chapter 10, I want to show you how this plays out. Go to Mark 10.45. Will you just a page over? Or swipe on your phone or whatever you got. Just stop playing Candy Crush if that's where you're at. But Mark 10.45 says this. And this is Jesus speaking of himself. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. And to give himself a ransom for many. What an awesome God we serve. Allah, the God, the the so-called God of the Muslims never came down to earth. The millions of God of Hinduism would never even in their wildest dreams consider to come down to save the very people that light millions of candles in their honor. The the, the so-called God of Mormonism didn't even do this. He, He, in fact... He, well, that's a whole story. You cannot become a god. Jehovah's Witnesses, the Archangel Michael had to come down to save us from our sins. Friends, that is hogwash because it is God himself who came down as humble as he was to save us from our sins. This is why that Jesus is the Son of Man who walked in your shoes and you can know that he will deliver you with grace that is form fit for your time of need. Whatever you are facing, The greatest, of course, we faced was at the right time, Romans 5 says, that Christ died for our sins. This speaks of his submission, his death, and his sacrifice for us, but the extension of the gospel goes further than that. What are you praying for? What are your needs? If you are following the God of Scripture, then you will have all your needs met according to what Christ has. That is what we know. And I hear there was a Sunday school class. There's a picture about Joel Osteen and all this sort of stuff. If you're in John Higgins' Sunday school class or John Moody's, whichever John's leading it now, uh, I'll just let that be. Don't let Joel rain on God's good parade, all right? God is good, and he provides all that we need and the time we need, and it's often not a Lamborghini, a big house, or a six-figure job. And there's nothing wrong with those things to the glory of God. But if Jesus was humble, shouldn't we also be humble?
Second thing I want you to notice about what Jesus says here about his death and listening to his words, embracing his agenda, is I want you to notice the sovereignty of his death. Do you see that? Not only the humility, but look at verse 31. It says, and he's going to be given to the hands of men. He's God. Why wouldn't he just stop it where it's at? The fact that someone delivered him over to the hands of men suggests something. It tells us that the Romans did not simply take Jesus, but God the Father in eternity past gave Jesus over for our sins. He was delivered. This this word is used three different times in the New Testament. This word delivered is used to indicate in Romans 1 when God delivers over past the point of no return those who want their sin. And he says, look, if you want your sin, you can have it. It's giving over. But Jesus is handed over by God himself. And I want you to know that God is sovereign over every millimeter, every microbe, every fractal, every furlong, every windstorm, every wormhole. So we are going to be okay. Do you believe that? Jesus was not a victim. Jesus was not a martyr. Jesus is not just some guy that was in the wrong place at the wrong time who suffered in a situation that became out of his control. The plan of God was always to send Jesus Christ. Good theology tells you that God is sovereign. He is sovereign from eternity past and will be forevermore. That is, is that the the four Gospels say that Jesus would be delivered by God himself over. In fact, if you want to write this reference down, you don't need to go there. But Acts chapter 2 says that Jesus was delivered up according to the definite and foreknowledge of God. And Peter says, you crucified him and killed him by the hands of lawless men. Yet there are so many Christians that think that God, like, you, you know how this goes. You go on a trip somewhere, and you have a plan, right? And you follow the plan and then you don't make it as far as you want to go. And you're like, what do we do? We got tickets. We got to get there on time or we're not going to make it. Or, or if you've been at the airport before and you had to go from gate A to gate Z5 and you, and you think you can make it there in the time, I, I've got 20 minutes and the plane gives you two to get off and run across five miles. Plans don't always go how we want them to go. But Scripture teaches us that the death of Jesus was always the plan. Do not believe in a lesser God of Christianity that teaches you that God somehow was surprised or just shifted into plan B when Adam and Eve sinned. No, our God always knew that Christ would come. The perfect, pure, all-wise God from the before time delivered his son over to ruthless rebels such as us. So in this death, as he's teaching his disciples, there's humility. We see the sovereignty of God, but I also want you to see the certainty Now, Pastor Art, number two and number three, kind of the same, yes, but you notice what it says. It doesn't say he might get killed, could get killed. There's a great chance he, the the forecast says, wouldn't you love to be a forecaster, by the way? Miss the forecast a million times and you still have a job, but he says he will or must be killed. That's what the scripture says. Mark 8.31 that we read a little earlier says he must suffer many things. Must speaks that Jesus had to die. In other words, there's no other way for us to get to heaven except through the death of Jesus. You know, someone always asks, well, 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 couldn't an angel have died for us? I mean, they're perfectly created. No. Only the God-man, Jesus Christ, could fulfill all that is there. He's the only way to heaven. 
But this will here underscores a certainty. It will happen. Long before Adam sinned, God already had his plan in place. And that's why I want to remind you, Christian, today, the same God who proposed the death of Jesus, you have every reason to be thankful because all God's plans for you and everything he puts in your path are evidence of his goodness, his wisdom, and his grace. You know, you may look, there are, God is bringing great revivals around the world to places that otherwise have not seen that happen in years. And you may look around at our area of Kansas City or where you live and say, Lord, why don't you do that here? Why doesn't that happen? Lord, we're trying to follow you. We're faithfully proclaiming you. We want people to know you. Why, God? Why, why, why? Why doesn't this happen? And I think it's a great reminder to us that God's thoughts are not our thoughts. God's plans are not our plans. But one thing we can be sure of is that God does have a plan. It's certain. It will happen. It will be carried through, even through sinful people such as us. And what this reminds us of is that as we look around at our world, we must know that God is always previous. He's always previous. He's always been. I remember, uh, I, I think I shared this a couple months ago, we had a good youth, my wife will remember this little sixth grader who every week when we had our open Bible questions, we, they used to ask questions to us. She always asked the same question every week. Pastor Darren, who created God? Six year, sixth grader, 11 years old, sweet as could be, and all the other youth would always just go like, oh, we're doing it again. And in her mind, she really struggled with this. And I think it's an honest struggle. Well, how did someone, who, who, who put God there? I mean, I mean, I came to church. I got here because I moved here. But how did God get there? And the question answer, of course, is, is that God is, is self-sufficient. He's always been. He's forever. He's eternal. And, and God never was. Not there. Isn't that weird? Can you all do this? Take your hands up here and go, right? The Trinity, three, one God, three persons, right? But one thing we know is that the death of Jesus was sovereignly planned and certainly carried out, all for our grace. How does that work? I don't know all the details, but I'm grateful it happened, amen? That's what we know. Fourth thing I want you to see that he teaches them about listening to his words, not only humility, the sovereignty, and the certainty but the extremity of his death. I want to focus on that word, that word kill. It speaks of a violent death, how Jesus suffered, a gory death. It's, it, it, I'm just going to run through some verses here. John 19, 18, he was crucified. Acts 2, 23, he was nailed to a cross. Acts 3, 14, he was put to death. Acts 5, 30, he was put to death by hanging on a tree. Isaiah 53, 5, he was pierced through like a lamb being led to the slaughter. I will tell you that uh, I like to fish, but I never like to fillet fish. How gross that is. Oh, my goodness. And I mean this in all seriousness. And just that thought of, just that thought just drives me crazy. And yet our Lord was literally run through a terrible death. And they killed him. But may I caution us here, don't be so caught up in how the death went down. Just be in awe that the death actually happened. 
because the death did not have to happen, did it? God in His grace allowed it to. But that's why you come every Sunday. That's why we need this time together. Because this time together is a weekly celebration of the victory of a war that is already won, of an enemy who's crushed, and a future that is secured in Jesus Christ. That's why you come each week. That'll be up on the screen for you. There's an old youth song that says, Romans 16, 19 says, The God of... Uh, I don't, I've lost it now. I'm not going to sing it. Tina's singing it, so if you need it, it's there. But the verse says, the God, of, uh, uh, the God of peace will soon crush Satan underneath his feet. Church, that is our victory. It doesn't matter who leads us in these midterm elections in four years, five years, six years, 20 years. What matters is that Jesus is the unelected, unimpeachable king, and he is ruling forever and ever and ever. And they needed to know this. In a time when they were ready to take Jesus, the disciples, and make him something that he was not meant to be, they needed to be reminded of this time and time and time again. The biblical Jesus had to hijack their political ambitions to the point that they had to be told yet again what it was. The last piece of this I want you to see is that not only was Jesus' death humble, it was a sovereign plan, it was certain, it was extreme, but there is victory. Oh, I love this. I pray that we pastors would spend as much time in preparation each Sunday as we do for Easter Sunday because every Sunday is Resurrection Sunday. Every Sunday is the day we come to celebrate. There was a dead man, but he has risen again. Every Sunday is the day we proclaim to the world, you who were once far off can now be brought near by the blood of Christ, and he's not far from each of us, but God has set a day that he will judge the world in righteousness. Do you know him? The resurrection, it says, look at the last part of verse 31. It says, and when he is killed, emphasizing how he'll die, he will rise again on the third day. This takes away what our Muslim friends believe about the swoon theory. Have you ever heard that before? Not like you, you, know, you, you, you kind of get that swoon for your future mate. No, that's not what we're talking about. But, but there, there's thought out there that Jesus didn't actually die, at least not initially. That he got beat up like a, like a heavyweight boxer would beat somebody up, and they put Judas in his place. You ever heard of that before? So, therefore, the Christians, the Muslims say, can take Jesus and say, yeah, he, he, he was still alive. He, 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 he was really alive. They, it's kind of like a switcheroo game, you know. I don't know about you. I've never been beat up. Please don't try. But if I'm beat up, and I'm beat up, I, I think you would know I'm not dead. And yet Jesus was run through with a spear. How in the world do you take Judas, who hung himself on a cross, get him on a cross, to carry a cross, how do you switch him out before everyone's eyes? I don't know how that works. But I do know one thing. Jesus didn't die and then just suddenly not die, like the swoon theory says, or not partially die. He died fully, but he resurrected fully as well. And I want you to note here, do you see what that says? That not only would he die, but he will rise again on the third day. Notice what your scripture says. Who does it say will raise Jesus from the dead? Did you notice that? Who does it say? Does it say the Father? Does it say the Spirit? It says He, doesn't it? He Himself will raise Himself up from the dead. 
You want further proof that Jesus is Lord and Savior of all? He himself raised himself from the dead. Yes, the Father working within the Trinity, one God, three persons, all co-equal, co-powerful, co-eternal. But Jesus himself is emphasizing that he will be raised from the dead. John eleven twenty five. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he shall die, yet he shall live. John two nineteen. Jesus answered them, destroy this temple in three days, and I will raise it up. Speaking of himself. John ten eighteen. No one takes it from me, but I lay down my life on my accord, and I have the authority to lay it down, and I have the authority to take it up again. This is the charge, he says, that he has received from my Father. Revelation 1.18, I, I died, and behold, I'm alive forevermore. I have the keys to death and Hades. What does all this mean? This one-of-a-kind death has a one-of-a-kind resurrection, has been carried out by a one-of-a-kind person who's more beautiful, more valuable than anything else you could possibly possess. And he offers himself freely to us. Wow. I don't know many companies who do that. Usually when you sign up for one of those things, you go down to Bass Pro, they're notorious for this. Hey, you want a free vacation to Branson? Awesome. Sign this up and pay us $100 like every minute until you get your free rental, right? But the resurrection confirms all that Jesus said. His resurrection allows us to be resurrected. It allows us to pass through final judgment clear in God's sight. It allows us, this resurrection, to be accepted in his sight. It, it designates Christ as the head of the church. It, this resurrection shows that we don't have a high priest who, who's way far off in some hidaway castle, but we have a God who can sympathize with us, Hebrews says, that even though we are tempted, he was tempted as we are, yet without sin. Folks, this is central to our church. This is central to our families and our ministries. We preach Christ and Him crucified. And if that message ever changes, we are in deep trouble, very deep trouble. So where does that leave us as a church this morning? It leaves us in the same place I hope we came in, that we know it is not entertainment up here. It is not theatrics up here. This is the raw, unadulterated Word of God. But I want you to know, secondly, as we close, we must not only listen for Jesus' words, we must also understand his mission. But I want you to look at verse 33. Will you look at that one more time? After all the stuff they heard, what was their reaction? But they did not understand what he was saying and were afraid to ask him. Don't. Come on, guys. Get with the program. What are you thinking? You, the, the Son of God just spoke to you about what's going to happen. Why are you not getting this through your thick heads? Oh, but we could say the same about us, right? We have more truth in our brains than we can live out in a lifetime, but yet it's hard to live out even some of those most basic truths on a daily level, at home, at work, in the neighborhood, wherever we go. You would think after hearing this and seeing the healings of this, this demon that they would ne be ready to receive it. That wasn't the case. Jesus was still the perfect friend and teacher, but his disciples were afraid to ask him. It's not his fault. How could they get this? It's simple. They had their own ideas about Jesus. They had their own agenda for Jesus. They had their own mission for Jesus, and he did not fit the bill. Therefore, Jesus is going to throw them out to the Romans and the, the Jews and let them figure out as they go along that he really is king. They're going to shore themselves up in the room. 
They're going to hide, but eventually, during the resurrection, God's going to open their heart to see. Friends, there may be things in your life where you look at someone else and, and you share the gospel with them and you share the gospel with them and you teach the gospel to them. You teach them Bible and, and it's just right there in front of their face. I mean, how many churches have you gone to where they haven't said that Jesus died on the cross, right? It's pretty basic. And you look at someone and you say, how do you not get this? I mean, come on. But yet if you tell them that the Chiefs are going to play it at, at play today for the, the opening game, home game, they're going to tell you every stat. They're going to tell you everything. Did you know Patrick Mahomes is going to be the MVP this year? He's got an arm like Favre, and he's going to be different than Alex Smith and all these things, and they're going to go on and on and on and on and on. But you look at him and you say, why don't you get this? And it's simple, because they want a God, as we all did outside of Jesus Christ, made in our image, in our plans, in our agenda. And churches are not immune to this either. Well, I believe that, that, that Jesus wants us to do this. Well, another group says, I believe that Jesus wants us to do this. Friends, may we pray that how we view Jesus is exactly how he viewed himself. No more, no less. Because anything outside of that, we will get in trouble. And if you notice, in Matthew 17, 23, and I want to share this with you, it's the same parallel account. It says that they were filled during this time with deep grief. They were filled with grief and, and, and afraid. They were so stunned by the word that Jesus was going to be killed, they could not even get the word that he rose from the dead. And that's why I want you to see, don't love Jesus just for what he does. Love Jesus for who he is. Amen? Look, I love to think what, what I could, you know, we love to think what if we were just in God's shoes. God, I would do this, I would do that, I would do this, I would do that. God, why does this terrible stuff happen? Look, there's a lot of real honest questions there. But at the end of the day, we bow before the sovereign hand of God and say, Lord, you're he and I'm not. Lord, I don't get why this happened. I don't know why this person is going through this. I don't know why this country has this struggle and we live in this blessed country, but I do know that you're God and I'm not. And that's what we need to see. Let us admire the resolution of Christ's will to go forward. Let us admire the truthfulness of his words. They are spirit and life. Let us admire the genius of his ways when to go with people and when to not. Let us admire his strategic grasp of ministry, when to push on and when to push not. But let us also embrace the victory of the Son. The wrath of God has been snuffed out. So where does this leave us today? Two quick faith lessons, and you can write these down. They will be quick. But the most important lesson, daily habit you can have for yourself, is to remind yourself of the gospel. When the world comes to you and says you're good for nothing, you can say amen, that's true. Because <laughs> it is. You are good for nothing, spiritually speaking. You were dead in your sin. You have nothing good in you. Your identity is found not on your performance, not on anything else but Jesus Christ. Well, this church is doing this, and, and this church is doing that, and this church is doing this, and this church is doing that. Have you guys started the, the 50 days of purpose yet? Or 40 days of prayer, or whatever it is. I don't know what, the, what it was back in the day. Nothing wrong with it necessarily, but friends, it's not about what we do. It's about who we worship and who we are in Him. And if we lose that, we lose so much. Look, when, when Satan, when you have sinned badly 
and you know it. And Satan says, yep, I'm right. You don't deserve heaven at all. You can look at him and say, absolutely, you're right. But Christ said, he died for me, he loved me, and he holds me securely and eternally. When you're in your marriage and you look at your wife or your spouse and they don't measure up to your standard of whatever standard that is, and for some of us that standard's like, whoa, it's way up there, and, and they fall short, you can remind yourself of the gospel in that relationship to say, look, I, I forgive you because guess what? I'm going to do the exact same thing to you on the opposite side of this. And it goes on and on and on. And when you need to remember that when you look around this world and you see all the junk that's happening, to remind yourself that the gospel says we are the victors by Christ because he is the victor. It's not military might, political prowess, or anything else. It is Christ himself. I mean, come on, let's be honest. How many of how many y'all, I love my wife dearly, she sets like 10 alarms in the morning, right? Like every two seconds the alarm goes off because she's afraid, as we all are, that things are going to go there. Some of you may need, I don't want to super spiritualize this, some of y'all may need to set a reminder once a day to go over the gospel with yourself. I was a sinner. I deserve hell. I deserve God's wrath. But God loved me so much that on the cross, he died for me. He was buried. He rose again. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Maybe that's what you need to do. You know, uh, football season starts today. Did you know that? I didn't know that till Judy told me. I'll be quite honest. I've turned off all my alerts from ESPN, and praise God for that. That has saved my life more than I know. But one thing I know is if you talk to any professional athlete, even those who've been around for a long time, they will tell you they need to be reminded time and time again of the basics of what they do. The five-step drop, you know, throw this way, throw that way. Don't throw the ball when there's three guys that have a different colored jersey. Don't throw it over there. Throw it out of bounds, you know, just simple stuff like that. How much more as Christians do we need to be reminded that Christ loves us so much? And he does. Lastly, God understands what you don't understand and has every piece under his control. Some of you all need to hear that today for your finances. Some of you all need to hear that for your wayward sons or daughters or grandchildren. Some of you all need to hear that for your own soul. But Christ has it under control. This church is not our own. It is Christ. This outreach is not our own. It is Christ. May we leave it there as well. Guys, God is good. Amen. He is so good to us. Praise God that we have Christ. Will you pray with me this morning? Father, as we come before you, we want to acknowledge that you are in control. It is not us. It is you. We want to thank you that by grace we have received, those of us in this room in Christ, the greatest gift that we could ever have. That is Jesus. Father, this sermon has been taught to our hearts by your spirit, has been preached to our ears by faithful teachers for years May it never get old. Lord, may it never get old because, Lord, this is what we will be celebrating forever and ever in heaven someday. God, thank you that your son can receive glory even through the foolish preaching of the gospel. And, Father, that's what it is. It's pure foolishness to the world. But to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. Lord, we thank you for this and more, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we come to this time of close, uh, we'll be singing our last song. And if you want to join us in standing as we close out, uh, uh, if you have a need you want to talk about or pray about, we'll be up front. If there's something you'd like to discuss, we'll be up front. But sing loud and sing proud because Jesus is risen. He's risen indeed. Let's sing today.